listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Before we get to the end of day's panic that seems to be sweeping our nation and our city as we're all freaked out every time everybody sneezes, let's just get to this, shall we? Can can everybody just say all together, just say this, awkward. 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 Dofo is going on a road trip. You heard that in the news. Doug Ford is heading south. And who's he going on, going south with? Well, it's a new buddy-buddy flick called Me and Vic. Next Friday, I'm looking forward to heading down to Washington, D.C. with Minister Fidelity for the National Governors Association winter meeting. Me and Vic coming soon to a theater near you. And here's where it gets awkward. Economic Development Minister Vic Fideli. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't he have a job before this? Oh, yeah. He was the Minister of Finance. Remember when he was the Minister of Finance? A job that he said was something that he'd always dreamed of having. And then he had it for a year, and he just got chucked right over. He just got unceremoniously booted. And then there was this this morning. Check this out. You got to talk to my buddy, the finance minister, uh, Rod Phillips, over there, and best finance minister we've ever had. He's doing an incredible job, and he, he really is. <laughs> oh, oh, that's icy cold. <laughs> Me and Vic, <laughs> Doug Ford goes south of the border. All right, let's get to the coronavirus update. Uh, things are out of control. There is a photo that is now making the rounds on social media. Comes out of Vancouver, and this is what it shows. It shows a traveler at the Vancouver International Airport who is legit 100% actually wearing a water bottle on his head. Please remain calm. A, I'm not kidding. I'm talking about you know one of those like mid-sized jugs, not the full one in the office. Obviously not the small water bottle, but the mid-sized jug, and it is cut the bottom out. Of the thing, and it just has it placed right over his head. I can assure you this is as far from a joke as you can get. (laughs) We've come to the point where we're wearing jugs on our heads. This is what what we are reduced to. We have three cases in this country. Three! Let's just all take a deep breath. My goodness. Here is the update in terms of the numbers in Ontario. This update just a couple of hours ago by the Medical Officer of Health held at Queen's Park. Here are the numbers. 67 tests have been performed by the Ontario Public Health Lab. Two of them, as you know, have been positive. One of those people is in hospital. The other is self-quarantined. 38 of those tests have come back negative. 27 are still pending. Now, here's Barbara Yaffe, who's the Associate Medical Officer of Health for this province, talking about the two confirmed cases plus the passengers on the flight that were with them. In terms of the two cases, the first one remains uh, in hospital and is in stable condition. The second one remains at home in self-isolation and is feeling well. Uh, As well... um, Public Health has been in contact with all the passengers uh, within uh, two to three meters of the cases on the plane. 
uh, and informed them that uh, they should be looking for signs and symptoms, and uh, they're being contacted daily for the 14-day period. Now, that seems reasonable. All of that seems very, you know, calming. Meanwhile, off the coast of Italy, and this is a personal nightmare of mine, one of the world's biggest cruise ship lines and one of the world's biggest cruise ships has been locked down. 6,000 passengers and 1,000 crew trapped on an Italian ship because of a case of coronavirus on board the ship. They won't let them off. Now that, that's enough to want to put a bucket on your head is what that is. Put a bottle right on your head. And what, when we talk about putting a bottle on your head, I mean, obviously that is ridiculous. But what about the masks? When you see the masks around town, what, what goes through your mind when you see them? Do you think to yourself, well, there's a person wearing a mask. I should probably avoid that person. Or do, do you have any reaction at all? Here is the medical officer of health, Dr. David Williams, with a strong comment on, on what you feel when you see someone wearing a mask walking around the city. Just because you see that doesn't mean anything. Because having been around Toronto for years, I've seen that behavior every, every winter for years. It's not new. And so I would be uh, very strongly discouraging any commentary on that, and people should be uh, asked to do something different just because someone has the wrong impression due to some visual issue, and they need to understand better what it is and not jump to those conclusions. Like, for example, I was at the TNT the other day. Went into the TNT, which is down here uh, at Cherry Street, which is closing at the end of the week, and I'm devastated about it. That's where I get my lunch. And there's a lot of people wearing masks. And you think to yourself, well, now, hmm, should I have, you know, immediately you think, well, well, wait a second. And then you remember, you know what? I come in here all the time. There are people wearing masks in here all the time. It's no different. So maybe I just calm down. Just chill out a little. You know? Uh, let's uh, talk about the Canadians who are trying to get out of Wuhan, China now, and the government saying, yeah, we're, we'll, we'll get a plane. We're working on it. You know, every other country's got planes in. People are already out. People have been quarantined. You know, the Americans, the Japanese, the Australians. Meanwhile, Canada's like, well, can we borrow a plane from someone who's got a Cessna? Anybody got a Piper? Here's more on the 200 U.S. citizens who have now touched down in California following an overnight flight organized by the U.S. State Department to evacuate American citizens from Wuhan, China. We were told that, you know, we're going to have free room and board, free food. There is uh, medical care on site, both mental health care and uh, also medical sounds like a nice vacation, actually. I could take a little of that. That is uh, one of the American citizens, obviously very concerning for them as they are now held in quarantine. And there are discussions when we do get our Canadian citizens out, finally, what will happen with them? I mean, consider that there's 6,000 people on a cruise ship that can't get off. You know? Please remain calm. <laughs> so what are we going to do with the Canadians once they get on an airplane? We got reports that the British nationals now are being quarantined in a certain area of the UK. There's some reporting on that. 
And when asked about it and talking about it this morning, the medical officer of health here for Ontario said that they just don't have any details yet. So that's good. But that's the federal government. That'll come from the feds. Likely expect a update on that later on today as we get more details on exactly what's going to happen to get our Canadian citizens out of Wuhan and then what to do with them once they get on board. I mean, it's, it, I mean, keep in mind that China has locked down that city. You know, public transportation's not working. I mean, the, there's no flights going in and out. How are you going to get an airplane in there, get your citizens on it, get it out, and it's still quarantine, and it still maintains a quarantine. And then here in Canada, then you got to wait for a bunch of days until until the, any signs have passed. So it's a logistical nightmare, and obviously a nightmare for those Canadians who are there in Wuhan, who are really the only people, I think, that should be wearing giant water bottles on their head. If there's anybody, I mean, and they're, they're not, but if anybody has a reason to do that. Lots to talk about in this next segment in terms of law enforcement, the courts. Let's begin, however, in Brampton. Global News has now learned that multiple arrests have been made in relation to the murder of 23-year-old Jason Ramkishan, who was was shot on November 23rd, 2018. He worked as a security guard. Police found his car in the northbound ditch of Highway 410 near Courtney Park Drive in Mississauga. He was shot while driving down the road. And what police have called this is a case of mistaken identity. He was found with a gunshot wound, was rushed to hospital, died later from his injuries. It was just a week later that a 26-year-old man was driving northbound on Highway 410 at Steeles when police said unknown suspects began shooting at his vehicle. The 26-year-old was wounded but had non-life-threatening injuries. Investigators said it was determined that the 26-year-old man was actually the intended target of the attack, not the young man who was killed. That is developing news coming in from Peel Region. We'll have more on that on Global News Radio throughout the course of the day. Meanwhile, in court today, Kaylin Schleiter, who is charged with first-degree murder in the November 2017 death of Tess Rishi. That case begins today. 22-year-old Tess Rishi was reported missing November 25th after a night out with a friend. She was found dead days later, not by police, but by her own mother, who had traveled to Toronto from North Bay to try and help with the search. Her body was found in a stairwell at the back of an alley just meters from the address where she had last been seen alive. Police have said that they believe Schlatter and Ritchie did not actually know each other before the night of her death, but they've released few details. We're getting more now from court as the opening statements are now complete and the first Witness is now on the stand, a police officer, but I can tell you from inside the court, I'm reading some of the Twitter feeds, and this is the Twitter feed of the Toronto Courts reporter for the Toronto Star, Alicia Sanmati Hasham, who reports that the Crown is now going to begin the opening overview of the evidence. And the Crown prosecutor, Bev Richards, saying, quote, this is a murder trial. It is about a young woman who was sexually assaulted and brutally strangled to death by a man she just met. That woman was Tess Ritchie, the youngest of five girls. Goes on to say that the court, or rather, pardon me, the Crown reported 
that part of the evidence to be presented in this trial was that while he was in custody, two undercover officers were put in a cell with Kalen Schlatter, and he spoke to them almost nonstop from the time they entered the cell. Those officers will testify that Schlater said he loved brunettes, that he'd slept with many, many women, and girls were always interested in him. And the Crown went on to tell the jury that the undercover officers found that Schlater had confessed to him, to them, pardon me, that he strangled Tess Ritchie because she had rejected his advances. Now, to stay on top of that developing story, obviously that is a very difficult court case. Toronto police, two Toronto police officers facing disciplinary action for their failure in the search for the body of Tess Ritchie, and that will also be part of the discussion around this trial. Also on our streets yesterday, just a horrible accident. Lawrence near the Donway, a pedestrian, killed while crossing the street. It happened just around the corner from the Global News Studios, an area I know so well. And to, so to see the helicopter footage last night on Global News, was it was difficult to see. Shoes strewn across the pavement. The victim not transported the hospital, declared dead at the scene. Here's Constable Brett Moore with the Toronto Police Service talking about what is more and more now a reality for police these days when it comes to investigations like this, and it is all about the video. More and more of our investigations, and I've said this so many times, are, are furthered by video evidence, whether it be dash camera or somebody walking by with a, with a cell phone, something like that. So um, that's really where we're at. Um, definitely tragedy. Um, again, I can say for a confirmed man in his 60s, um, it, it was, uh, was struck and killed uh, crossing the street. That is Constable Brett Moore, Toronto Police, uh, later in the evening, confirmed the age of the deceased, 63 years old, has not released a name as of yet. But from the scene, it was clear that the accident happened in the middle of the road. In other words, not at the intersection. Here again is the constable. The man appears to have been crossing Lawrence Avenue. Um, it's you know not at one of the intersections that are close by. Um, but that's part of the investigation. We're going to speak to witnesses, and hopefully we've got some video that'll help us with that. Uh, and obviously we have the driver that's uh, th- that's involved, and we'll be speaking with that person as well. The driver, a 29-year-old, stayed at the scene. There have been no charges announced, but you can see from the scene and from hearing what the officer had to say there, this appears to be a case of someone crossing the road, not at a light. I know, and I know this area, and sometimes when you have these things happen in an area where you know, you think to yourself, well, now what kind of behavior have I exhibited around there? It's right at Shops of Don, Mall, Don Mills, if you've ever been up there. And there's an LCBO right there on the corner. And the if you ever try to, to, to park around there, it's, it's, it's awful. You can't get a parking spot in the shops. So often I, what I used to do is I'd park at a parking lot across the street and then zip across the road. You know, on a Friday night, you want to go get a bottle of wine on the way home. And I just, you just jaywalk. I've done this. And recently I thought to myself, because we have talked so much about pedestrian safety, about safety on the roads, I thought, I'm not doing that anymore. I, I just, it's just too dangerous, and it, it just it doesn't make any sense. And so for all the talk we have about 
drivers taking responsibility. And obviously, in this case, this is a tragic case, and we don't know exactly what happened. And, you know, the details are not in, so I don't want to draw any conclusions. But I do want to say this, because I've said it strongly on this program before, that drivers need to slow down. You need to pay more attention. You need to be slower. You need to really keep your head on a swivel. Pedestrians out there, take the extra time and go to the corner. I want to talk about a hashtag that is trending. In just a moment, you may have seen it. Hashtag Girl Dad. But before we get there, I want to tell you that Vanessa Bryant has now made her first public statement since the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and one of their daughters, plus seven others. In a post on Instagram, Vanessa Bryant said that she is completely devastated by the loss of her husband and their wonderful daughter. Bryant also announced the formation of a fund to help support the other families that have lost loved ones in the crash. Also, the Los Angeles Lakers have now issued their first statement saying that their love and light will remain in the hearts in their hearts forever. I want to play this for you because it has sparked a real conversation in social media. Here is Sports Center anchor L. Duncan with her story about meeting Kobe that has now kicked off a hashtag. Four girls, are you joking? Like, what would you think? How would you feel? And without hesitation, he said, I would have five more girls if I could. I'm a girl dad. When it came to sports, he said that his oldest daughter was an accomplished volleyball player and that the youngest was a toddler, so TBD. But that middle one, he said, that middle one was a monster. She's a beast. She's better than I was at her age. She's got it. That middle one, of course, was Gigi. That is L. Duncan relating a story of meeting Kobe Bryant, who has who had four daughters. And Kobe Bryant often talked about Gigi, and he, at one point he was on, I, I can't remember which of the late night programs he was on, and they were talking about the fact that he related this story that constantly fans would come up to him and, and say to him, hey, you know, you need to have a son. You need to have a boy to carry on the legacy, somebody to play basketball, carry on your legacy. And his daughter would would just look right up at them and say, I got this. Don't worry. And, you know, Kobe related it with such joy. And this talk about being hashtag girl dad now has made the rounds. And you see all kinds of people now posting shots of, you know, dads, posting shots with their daughters, talking about how, how proud their girls are. They are of their girls. You know, and as a father of a 14-year-old, I absolutely relate. You know, when she was younger, I would say at all times and any time, you know, girls can do anything. Say it again and again and again. You can be anything. You can do anything. Still believe it. So mark me down as a hashtag girl dad today. Welcome back. We have breaking news coming out of the Peel region. We talked about it a little bit in our last segment. Arrests made in a 2018 fatal shooting on Highway 10. An innocent man shot and killed as he was driving on Highway 410. Catherine McDonald is our Global News Crime Specialist, joins me on the line. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you? Good. What have you uh, found out from Peel Police? So sources... Uh Gave me a tip this morning uh, that tomorrow they will be having a news conference 
uh, to confirm that they uh, have made arrests in relation to the fatal shooting of Jason Ramkishan. He was a 26-year-old uh, Sheridan College student. He was a security guard. He was driving home from work uh, in November of 2018, and uh, the family had no idea why he was shot at. He was fatally shot, and his car ended up in the ditch near 410 and Courtney Park. And then a week later, there was a shooting not far away, also on the 410, involving a very similar car, a Honda Civic, uh, where a man, a 26-year-old man, was shot at. He, he was able to drive himself to hospital and recovered, but police later determined that they were, uh, basically, they were related. And they said that Jason Ramkishan, the man who died after being shot at on the 410, he was uh, an innocent victim. It was a case of mistaken identity. The man who was shot a week later was the intended target, not Jason. And, of course, at the time, it, it really caused a lot of fear here in Brampton because, you know, it, this could have been anyone. So uh, we've learned that there, there have been more than five arrests in relation uh, to these, these shootings. Uh, only one person has been charged with first-degree murder. Uh, this has been a very, very long investigation about... Uh, at the one-year anniversary mark in November of 2019, about two and a half months ago, I was at the Peel Police Headquarters when they had a news conference with the family. They announced a $25,000 reward. The grieving uh, parents were there. They didn't speak, but I did talk to them later, and they said they were still in deep sorrow uh, and, and pain, very upset, because they, they needed this case solved, at least to bring some closure. Uh, such a I don't like that word, because when it comes to a murder, a murder I don't think families ever get closure, and especially when it comes to a child. And uh, But, you know, it was unimaginable that this could happen to someone just driving home from work, as, as this man was. So um, I'm, I'm told that investigators are really very happy they were determined to solve this case, and they've been working hard. So, uh, you know, this is great news for this community. One of the questions for police tomorrow will be, did that reward play any factor in the arrest? Absolutely. I mean, they they were they were sure that this was in fact these were these two shootings were were linked because at that news conference they said um, we actually recovered the gun in August, a gun in an unrelated investigation, and we've been able to link it to both shootings. So you know those are the, often you know those those reward things don't often work out. I've done stories over the years that very rarely do do people call in tips when rewards are offered because of course they often have to testify. And people are afraid to do that, to go to court and actually, you know, sit in the witness box and, and speak about what they know. So it, it will be interesting to find out how they crack this case. The fact of the matter is when you get that one-year mark, it starts to feel like the case is going cold. In this case, Peel Police obviously uh, were working hard on this case. They really wanted to, to figure out who did this and why, and they wanted to bring justice to this family. So really, this is a, a wonderful development. I'm told the family is actually not in town. They're away. Uh, but... Uh, uh, I'm going to try and reach out to other people who knew Jason today and get more reaction. And and you're right. the The fear in the community, the 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 nature of this crime, just you know, gun being unloaded into a vehicle driving down the highway, and you you know maybe it's the right intended victim that the gunman's after, and maybe it's not. I mean, and we have seen not just these two incidents, but a couple other incidents of gunfire on the 400 series highways, and that is, that's just terrifying. Absolutely. I, I did ask the chief in Peel about why. Why do you think we keep seeing these shootings? Because there have been many, not just on the 410, but on the 400 and the 41. And the chief of Peel police told me he thinks it's because often if you're looking to shoot someone, it's easier to get away when you're on a highway than if you're on a side street where there, you might get caught up in traffic or lights. So that's why he says... Um, we're seeing more of these highway shootings. That being said, this is you know started a conversation about should we put more cameras on the highways? What can we do to prevent shootings on highways? Um, because people are the family of Jason Ramkishan, 
uh, he said the father is a truck driver. He has to drive the 410. But the mother said to me in November, she said, I don't drive that highway anymore. I just can't. And uh, I think a lot of people who use it probably think of Jason every day when they drive northbound and the fact that he was just shot at because he was driving in a black Honda Civic that was not the right one. We're speaking with Catherine McDonald, Global's crime specialist. And Catherine, in our last segment, we talked about the uh, fatal hit and run that happened yesterday, not far from where you and I work in Don Mills. And the the traffic uh, officer talked a lot about video surveillance, not only video surveillance from nearby stores, but also dash cam. And it struck me that again and again recently, I'm hearing this call. This is the first thing police say, talking about we're looking for video, we're looking for video. Well, I can tell you I've been in court uh, recently uh, for a number of cases where there were bail hearings and uh, but that video, uh, dash cam video, it can you know, can really make a case. It can show invest. It can show the, the you know the, the judge how quickly the the accused was driving, um, the direction he was coming, and like you said, there's a proliferation of people who are who are putting these these dash cams on their their uh, cars now, and police are are it's it's increasingly becoming a tool to help solve these crimes, and not only that, but also as evidence of exactly what happened. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is really important. It's made me think about getting a dash cam. I know I've now got a Nest cam on the front of my house because of the stories I've done about, you know, break-ins. and uh, Just how, how helpful that video can be if something happens to, to go on in front of you. I mean, we saw that dash cam video uh, just before Christmas of a, uh, a man who, um, he, an impaired driver, alleged impaired driver, hit him and he swerved and he lost control and we interviewed him. And uh, it was that dash cam video that, I don't know if you remember, but it went viral. And he spoke about, it was actually on his own vehicle that showed how he was hit and then pushed off the road. I think it was, again, on a 400-series highway, a a 410, if I'm not mistaken. So it, it can be a really good preventative tool for yourself as a driver to have a dash cam, should anything happen to you. Catherine McDonald from Global News with the news that arrests in that 2018 fatal shooting on the 410, that there will be arrests announced tomorrow in Peel. Catherine, thanks so much for being on the program. No problem. Just some breaking news coming in from Washington right now, actually from south of the border where the CDC, this is from Jackson Prosco, our Washington bureau chief, has just tweeted that the CDC has announced the first instance of person-to-person transmission of coronavirus in the United States. Again, that is the first instance of person-to-person transmission in the U.S., Previous to this, most of the cases we have seen of person-to-person have been within China. It's, we don't know at this point whether or not these are people that had both traveled or one had traveled here or what had happened. But anyway, that is out now. And the risk to the public remains low, according to the Center for Disease Control south of the border. Let's turn our minds to what is going on with Huawei. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says Britain's decision now to allow Huawei to play a role in that country's uh, implementation of 5G will not affect ties between the U.K. and the United States. And this is important because Canada is in the process of trying to figure out what we're going to do about this. 
United States has said no, absolutely no to Huawei, and has said that it will not share state secrets with any country that possibly has Huawei material or Huawei infrastructure, pardon me, in its 5G network. And Canada's trying to figure out what to do with that. So with the UK going forward, it allows some cover. But here is Mike Pompeo talking more about what Britain has decided. This isn't about any one company. This is about a model that the Chinese Communist Party has where they place requirements on these businesses that say, thou shalt do. And there's not only a legal requirement, but there's deep financial investment. You have senior leaders in these companies that are tied to the Chinese Communist Party. We think that it's not about a technical back door. They have the front door. That is Mike Pompeo, U.S. Secretary of State, saying it's not about Huawei in particular. It is about the Chinese government and its ability to demand information from Chinese companies. So when you hear assertions from Huawei, as you hear from Huawei Canada every once in a while, that we would never spy on Canadians ever, well, the Chinese government can demand information from Chinese companies, and that is a ongoing concern. Canada still has not yet made a ruling or decided what it will do. Meanwhile, the federal government now has a new panel's report to weigh over when it thinks about uh, Netflix and other giant streaming services. The CRTC would gain major oversight over foreign streaming services if the government were adopt to adopt this expert panel's recommendations. This report says the CRTC should be responsible for a new registration process for media content on the Internet. The Trudeau government asked that panel to consider a vast array of issues from the role of foreign streaming services to, to mobile phones and Internet services and the future of the CBC. Now, the report calls, and this is something that has come out before, but the report calls for the application of the GST slash HST to foreign online services. Currently, Netflix pays provincial tax only in Saskatchewan and Quebec. So should Netflix and other streaming services have to remit the GST? And should they also have to pay into a Canadian content fund, much the way that Chorus, which is the parent company of this radio station, also owns Global News and Global Television, we have to pay into a Canadian content uh, fund, so should Netflix and should Disney and all the rest have to do the same thing? Well then, wait a second, if we're going to do that, what's that mean to you, the consumer, if we're going to impose those things on those streaming services? Is that going to end up with you having to pay more? Is it going to cost you more in the end? Well, here's Janet Yale, who led the review with the review panel's perspective on that. So we do not think that this is something that would be passed on to consumers or result in higher prices. I'm not sure if I agree. I think that there is plenty of evidence that would suggest that if you increase any kind of cost, even administrative, for those streaming services, they are going to pass that cost on to you. Also, the panel said that the CBC should be forced to give up commercials. No more commercials for the CBC. And the panel says that that's because they want to make things more even, more fair for private broadcasters. But as a private broadcaster, I have a question. As a radio broadcaster, I already compete against a commercial-free entity which is partially funded by my money. You're going to tell me that as a television broadcaster, which is something else I do, I am also going to have to compete against a commercial-free entity? 
And if you take commercials away from CBC television, are they just going to have to forego that revenue? Or will the government up the amount of money it is paying or giving to the CBC to be able to maintain its current level of broadcasting? And once again, my dollars competing against my job. Anya Karadeglia is an editor with The Wire Report and knows this stuff far better than I do and watched this press conference yesterday and joins me on the line. Hi, Anya. Hi, Alan. Did I get that right about the CBC? I mean, yes, the panel is calling for uh, CBC to go completely ad-free within the next five years. So, but does they, do they say anything about where the money is going to come from to replace that revenue? Uh, yes and no. Uh, they leave that up to the government. They say that the government should ensure that there's stable funding on a five-year basis for the CBC, and they say that you know the government and the public broadcaster should negotiate in order to figure out whether that means they will need extra money. And what was the justification by saying that this is somehow going to make things more fair for private broadcasters? an argument we have heard from private broadcasters, from some news organizations as well, actually, that, you know, they're already having to face so much new competition from the likes of Google and Facebook, who have, you know, a huge chunk of the advertising market right now, that especially now, it's not fair for the public broadcaster to also be competing for those ad dollars. That's the gist of their argument. Right, so then it's a it's a question about the the slice of the pie of the ad dollar, not necessarily that uh, you know a private broadcaster with commercial breaks has to go up against a commercial free entity. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's really the arguments that I've heard have really been mostly about that. that you know that slice is shrinking, and uh, you know it's not fair for the CBC to be taking uh, you know a, a big chunk. Of, of that small slice. All right, give me up to date on this whole Netflix tax because the the Liberal government has indicated that it wants to move forward with this. It is the panel's recommendations in line with what we've heard from the federal government. Yes, yes, it is. Um, so you mentioned the GSTs. So both the panel and the government have said they will go ahead and they will extend sales tax to Netflix and other foreign streaming services um, all across the country. So currently, domestic streaming services or services that have a physical presence here, so for example, Crave TV from Bell, you, they already have to charge sales tax. This new rule would just extend that to foreign streaming services as well. Now, you heard me play that clip from the uh, press conference where Janet Yale said that she does not think that this would lead to higher prices from the streaming services. What's the justification for that logic? So in that, I think she wouldn't have been referring to the tax. She would have been referring to the the price of the service outside of the tax. And that's because I think that the question that would have been asked would have been in the context of some of the other promises that both the government and the panel have made. So those are promises to just setting aside the, you know, the sales tax issue on top of that. The idea is to introduce new rules and requirements for uh, streaming services, digital platforms, so anybody from Netflix to YouTube, um, that they would have to pay into Canadian content in the same way that traditional, you know, TV providers do, and that they would have to, yeah, that they would have to spend a certain amount on Canadian content. What, was so, there any reaction from the streaming services to that? I mean, not really. I think they ha- it has been very clear that this is coming for a little while. So they, you know, I, I don't think it came as a surprise to, to any of them. 
Right. So when I talk about, you know, the the additional cost, the, there is an additional cost in terms of the tax will be more. It's the question of what they're saying is, is that, you know, the implementation of all these rules shouldn't, uh, that should not drive up the costs. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, that is what Janet Yale said yesterday. I was, um, I was here uh, at a press conference with the heritage minister earlier today, and he was asked that same question. He was a little bit, um, you know, he wasn't quite as certain about it and, and more indicated that he couldn't exactly say yes or no, that he, he doesn't think that it will, but you could, you know, I got the impression that that's not a promise that, that he would be able to make. And I think that that is true because there's still so much that we don't know. We don't know how big these contributions would be. We don't know exactly, you know, to which revenues they would apply to. And we have no idea how the companies are going to react and whether they're going to react by increasing their prices overall. Um, so that is, still, these are, that is still, you know, detail that has yet to be determined that, that it's really difficult to predict at this point. Anya, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you so much. So interesting as we take a look at that. And it has such an, a big impact. I mean, think about, you know, if you're a consumer of local news, and you know that local news is being hauled out. It's it's incredibly difficult now. You see what's happening to newspapers. You, you know, day after day, journalists are you know being laid off. You know, it's tough out there in terms of being able to make the system work. And yet we have Netflix and we have these foreign entities here in this country who are taking our money, gladly taking our money, but in many cases not paying any tax and also not paying into a fund that everybody everybody else, all the rest of the broadcasters, as you heard Anya say there, Anya say there you know, if, if you have Crave, you're paying tax. If you have Netflix in this province, you're not. How's that fair? Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. Back again tomorrow at noon. Have yourself a great afternoon.